What's going on Sunday morning? How you guys doing today? You guys doing great? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. Can you guys help me welcome everybody that's watching online and everybody at our Lighthouse Point location? Come on, let's give it up for them. Man, we love you guys. We're so glad you're joining with us today. We are in a series that we started last week that we are calling My Joy is My Job. Yeah, nobody, nobody, no, 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 nobody got excited about that last week. Nobody got excited about it this week. I, I don't know if it's the, the job aspect of it or, or it's the joy aspect of it, but, but I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but your joy is not determined by anybody else in this world. Your joy is not determined by circumstances. Your joy, notice the word your, your joy is actually your job. And, and, and I believe that, that God really wants to put something inside of every single one of us to get it deep in our spirit that our joy is our job. And, and so if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back, watch that, that message online because it kind of set up what we're doing in this series. And if you're new to Coastal, let me, let me just kind of explain a little bit because there are two forms of preaching that are out there. Uh, the, the first one is, is topical preaching, which is what we do the majority of the time here at Coastal. Is we we, we kind of dive into a topic and then we find passages of scripture and verses that that support that topic and build on that theme. Uh, and it's the primary way that we teach here. Then, then there's another form of preaching, which is called expository preaching, where people go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. And, and, and really, there's actually a lot of tension in the church. Like one side thinks that they're right, the other side thinks that they're right. And so there's a lot of friction because the expositors think that they're the correct way of preaching. The topical people think that they're the correct way of preaching. And, and so what I always say is that Jesus preached topically, so my way is right. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but, but here's what I would also say. I think both ways are good. Yeah. And so as a church, we, we, we do a lot of topical things, but a couple of times a year, what we do is we do some expository preaching where we pick either a passage or a chapter or a book of the Bible, and we preach through it verse by verse so that we can get a deeper understanding of that theme to those people. And we are, are studying the book of Philippians over the next couple of weeks. And if you don't know much about the book of Philippians, it was written to the church in Philippi by the apostle Paul. He, he absolutely loved this church. It was one of his favorite churches that he planted. And he is actually writing this book while he is in Rome in prison chained to a guard 24 hours a day awaiting his execution. So he's actually writing this book under some really tense circumstances. And what's interesting is throughout this book, Paul mentions the word joy or rejoice 16 times. You, you think about that, like he's not on a vacation in the Caribbean. He is chained, waiting in execution, and yet he is able to leave, live with this exuding joy in his life. And, and, and so you got to ask yourself, like, what was Paul's secret in the middle of these difficult moments that he could still live with joy? Because he had something so much more than what most of us are pursuing, which is happiness. 
And we talked about this a little bit last week, that happiness is based on the external things. Happiness is based on the circumstantial things. But we said joy is based on something internal. It's actually based on your relationship with Christ. So his hope wasn't in something, but his hope was actually in someone. And some of us, we need, to, we need to get our hope kind of shifted from that thing or that person and get it shifted into that someone that can change everything about everyone and his name is Jesus. Now, some of you are like, man, man, that, that's kind of depressing. Aren't you being a little, a little downcast? Like, aren't you, aren't you kind of just being messed up there because you're, you're kind of telling me that, that things aren't always going to be great and there's going to be difficult days. And, and I want to let you know that there will be difficult days in this life. Now, some of you are like, well, can't you be more positive today? I'm, of course I can. I am positive that there will be difficult days <laughs> ahead of you. But here's what the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And what some of us need today is we need some strength. And the strength that we need is going to come from this joy that comes only from God. And and so what I want to do in this series is I want us to go verse by verse to, to learn how we can have joy in our lives no matter what the circumstances are because, because it's just important that we live that way. And I think, I think God actually want us, wants us to enjoy this life and to have fun no matter what the circumstances are. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 15, verse 11. I've told you this so that you, that my joy may be in you. This is Jesus's goal that the joy that that he had would be in us so that you and I, our joy will actually be complete. And complete means whole or full. And today what I want to do is I want to discuss one of the most difficult things to have joy with. And, and, and I think that there's, there's something in your life that has a tendency to kind of suck the joy out of you. A lot of times it has a tendency to kind of kill your joy. I would say that it's actually the ultimate kill joy. And, and it's this idea of relational conflict. I don't know about you, Lighthouse Point, but there's a lot of people that are like, because mm, they know that that's true here. Like nothing will kill your joy faster then tension with other people, then friction with other people, then, then conflict with other people. And we've all been on the, the giving end of friction and we've all been on the receiving end of friction in a relationship. And Paul realizes this and he actually writes in Philippians chapter two, he, he kind of dives into some things that, that actually cause the friction in the relationship, some attitudes that we can take And then he actually gives us some attitudes that we can live out if we want to live with joy. So I wanna give you three things that that will kill your joy if you're exuding these three, these things. And then I wanna give you three attitudes that Jesus lived with that Paul talks about here in chapter two. And so if you're taking notes, which you should be, the first one is this, the, the thing that will kill joy faster than anything else when it comes to your relational world is disunity. Disunity, it says this in in verse one of chapter two. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, notice that word united, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and in 
purpose. What's he talking about there? He's, he, he's realizing, and in fact, if you were to go to chapter four, what he's actually addressing right here in the beginning of chapter two is some disunity that's going on between two women in the church. Why has it always gotta be two women in the church? Maybe because they say more words than men do. I, 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 don't, I just, I, oh. just back up a little bit here, get some distance. There's a lot of women here today. But I don't know about you, but has anybody ever experienced a disagreement with another person? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> anybody ever got mad at somebody else? Anybody ever had a difference of opinion? <laughs> Here's what I know. Typically, when there's some differences, we have a tendency as human beings, not just women, but men as well, to we start to talk about other people. When there's some friction, why? Because it's natural to try to get people on your side. Yeah. I don't know why that is. We feel like, well, if I can get people on my side, then I must be right. In fact, I found this story about this lady named Mildred. She was kind of the official church gossiper, self-appointed of the church's morals for every single person in this. Uh, we're just going to say it, it's a Presbyterian church. We're going to make one up. Uh, and, and so maybe it was a Baptist church. Maybe it was a United Methodist church. Maybe it was a non-denominational church called Coastal. I don't know what church it was. But she kept sticking her nose in other people's businesses. And while a lot of people didn't approve of her, they were also very scared of her, right? Because because you didn't want to get on Mildred's bad side because Mildred was going to go and talk about you. And, and, and so people just kind of backed away because they were scared that, of what she might say about them. And there happened to be a new member to the church. His name was George. And, 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 and one day, Mildred saw George's vehicle parked at the local bar. And, and all of a sudden, what Mildred started doing is she started making assumptions about George. Anybody ever made an assumption? You know what that does. We don't need to explain that in church. Uh, <laughs> And so she started making assumptions. She started talking to everybody about how George, he was a drunkard and he was an alcoholic and he needed to get his life together. And, and, and she actually started doing this in front of George. And George, being a man of very few words, just stared at her, looked for a second and walked away. And later that evening, knowing that Mildred had made that assumption based on where his car was parked, he went and drove his truck over to Mildred's house and parked it in front of her driveway and left it there all night long. How many of you know you can cause some tension with things that you say? You can cause some tension with things that you do. But here's what I know, no matter what you're saying or what you're doing, when you're causing disunity, you're robbing joy, not only from your own life, but from everybody else's life. And here's the deal, we've, we've gotta fight for unity. Yes. We've gotta fight for unity in our homes. Parents, there is nobody that can divide your family as quickly as your child can. <laughs> Come on, you've all experienced this. They, they go and ask mom and mom says no. We walk over here to dad. 
And dad doesn't know that mom's already been asked and said no and says yes. And then the problem is not with the child anymore. The problem is, is with yeah. mom and dad. Yeah. That's why you got to be on the same page. Yeah. Did you talk to your mom about that? What did your father say? Yeah. That's what I say too. Yeah. Why? Because we keep unity. Like, it's important in marriage because there, there's going to be tension and there's going to be friction. Yeah. Why? Because people are involved. Last time I checked, as close to the Holy Spirit as Shayla is, she's not completely him. And so as holy as she is, she can get me fired up really fast. But we've got to choose that even though there's tension, we're going to create unity. Yeah. We're going to stay on the same, same place, same thing at your workplace. We have a value here as a church staff that we believe the best. Yeah. It's a value that we ask every single person that's on our team to embrace. Why? Because somebody's going to come up and say something about somebody else that's on our team. And in that moment, you're going to have the opportunity to jump on that that bandwagon and go with what people think or you can go no 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 I know the I know the character of that person I know the nature of that person that's not really that's not really who I know them to be and and I think you're mistaken in that now now they they might not be mistaken but you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that person about it but you're going to choose to keep the unity in fact, Jesus prayed this prayer my prayer is, is that they would be wanting referring to you and I as he says, the Father and I are one. Why would he say that? Because unity is so important. And I get it. Listen, there's going to be some people that just rub you the wrong way in life. As soon as they open up their mouth, it's like they have the squeaky voice. They have the annoying voice. Like just anything they do, you're like, I want to punch them in the face. I get that. <laughs> but here's what James says about that. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So it's not really them. It's actually something within you. And so we, we've got to realize that, man, we've got to get past our desire. And what is the desire that we have most of the time when disunity is happening? The desire to be right. You can be right or you can have restoration. It's your choice. I think we need to choose restoration Here's another one that's a kill joy in life that he talks about. It. It's this word, pride. Nothing will kill your joy faster than pride because pride always causes you to make a judgment about someone else. Because in order to have pride, you have to elevate yourself and you have to lower somebody else. And listen, there's nothing positive about it. It will always kill your joy. It says in verse three, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. That word better there is worthy of respect. Yeah. Now I think the problem in our culture in our day and age is we are always comparing ourselves among ourselves. And honestly, church, it's hurting us so bad. Because I don't know if you've realized this or not, but God created us all uniquely. But what we've done with our culture and with our society, and especially with the rise of social media, 
is that we're not comparing ourselves just among ourselves. Now we're comparing ourselves with hundreds and thousands of other people constantly and going, looking at what do they have that I don't have? What are they accomplishing that I'm not accomplishing? And I, I think we forget that social media is somebody's highlight reel, not their real life. Like I've not yet seen the social media account where it's like, hey, take a look at my wife after I ticked her off account. Like, hey, take a look at my account. Look at my car that I just wrecked and I'm the person that caused the accident. Like nobody's posting the real life failures. They're posting their real life highlights and then we're comparing our everyday lives against that and we're wondering why our pride is going up or going down. And here's the thing with pride is that you can always find somebody else that's doing worse than you. But at the same point, you can always find somebody else that's doing better than you. And while social media may be fun, it's a terrible bar to base your life upon. In fact, uh, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt that said, comparison is actually the thief of joy. And we gotta stop comparing ourselves in life because what we do is we get puffed up or we get shrunk down. Proverbs 29 says, a man's pride will actually bring him low, but a man of lowly spirits gains honor. And here's what I know is that when we take the lowly spirit approach, which is the same approach that Jesus lived with, man, we live with unbelievable amounts of joy because we're never comparing ourselves among ourselves. How about this last one that he says we got to look out for that's actually a killjoy. It's this word selfishness. It's always focusing on what I want or what I need. It's always all about me, myself, and I. Philippians 2, 4, it says, each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And listen, it's okay to look at your own interests, but not just to your own interests. You have to look out for others as well. Because here's what I've learned. If you're helping someone and expecting something in return, you're doing business, not kindness. And a lot of us in our relational world, we are doing business, not kindness. We're doing business, not relationship. Because we're expecting something from those people rather than just going, man, I'm just here to give. I'm just here, I'm not here to get, I'm here to give. And anytime we're approaching things with the, the approach of I'm here to get, that's a selfish attitude. And the moment you do that, you're setting the other person up for failure because you're putting unmet expectations on them that they don't even realize about them. So all of a sudden, when they do give you that thing, it, it just brings you up to a level playing field because you had the expectation. You're not overjoyed at that moment. You're not, you're not exuding at that moment because you expected that of them because you came with a selfish attitude in that season. So why James says it like this, for where you have Envy and selfish ambition, notice that it's not just ambition, ambition's fine, it's when it becomes all about you, there you find disorder and every evil practice. He's saying, man, when we take this attitude, man, we're, we're inviting evil practices to begin to come in our lives. And so, so what does that mean? We've got to begin to change the attitude in which we approach our relational world. And, and, and Paul is trying to get us to see this. That's why he says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. 
Because he's saying your attitude has an impact on your life. You know, if, if joy is the overarching theme of the book of Philippians, he mentions it, joy or rejoice 16 times. He also mentions attitude 10 times. Because what Paul realizes is that the attitude that we take is a reflection of the joy that we have. And so what is the attitude, what is the posture that we're living life with that is going to either infuse us with joy or, 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 uh, or suck us of the joy in life? And, and there are just some joy suckers that are out there like selfishness and pride. And we've got to realize that there is an attitude that we can take that Jesus exuded and lived with every single day of his life. In fact, Paul gives us three attitude adjustments that I think we need to make if we're going to live fully with joy every day. And Jesus modeled this for us. The first one is this, is that you've got to give up your rights. You've got to give up your rights. Which for us in the Western world is the hardest thing to do. Because we all think I have the right this is my right. Check it out. Verse six, he says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It says in the next verse, but he made himself a servant. You think about that text right there. He did not consider equality with God Something that he could grab a hold of. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying it's not about self-promotion, which is what the first three are all about. It's actually about self-abandonment. The verse goes on to say that Jesus made himself nothing. Now I want you to think about that for a second. He made himself nothing. This is Jesus who had every right, who was with God, who is God. He had all the glory of heaven, and yet he stripped himself of everything to become a servant to the people that were actually going to sin against him and eventually kill him. He was the one that owned every right to be praised, every right to be glorified. And yet, what would he do? He would actually end up kneeling down, taking a basin and water, and washing the dirty, grimy, toe-jamming, nasty feet of people. You think about it, it's, it's mind-blowing. You think about that, he made himself nothing verse. When you think about how God created the world, how did he create the world? What did he create the world with? Nothing. God created the world out of nothing, so here's the deal. As long as you are nothing, God can make something out of you. But the moment that you think you're something is a no longer useful part of you. And it's time for some of us to realize that 
We don't have rights. We now have a responsibility. Listen, this is, this is a powerful approach to relationships. Think about it in your marriage. Well, the Bible says my wife's body is mine. That's my right. No. What the Bible says is that you're actually to give up your life like Jesus did for your spouse. Husbands. Amen. You don't have a right. You have a responsibility. Yeah. No, so there's only one woman that said amen to that. In this <laughs> lighthouse point, I'm sure y'all are hooping and hollering right now. All of a sudden, it's a game changer when we give up our rights. We start to realize, no, 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 I I have a responsibility because when I give up control, all of a sudden, God can take control. And a lot of us, we've been trying to control the ship of our life for way too long, and we wonder why we keep ending up shipwrecked, broken, limping along. What's time to give up your rights and begin to take the responsibility on of following Christ. Number two, so you've got to serve somebody. Continuing on that verse seven that we were just in, it says, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, which is, which is so interesting because if, if you look over every book that Paul wrote, typically when Paul would write to a church, what, no matter what church it was, he would always address him. He would say, Paul, an apostle, he, he, would, he would give his title. He would give his authority. But the Philippian book is the only book where Paul does not take that approach. He just said, hey, I'm a servant. Like, I, I, I'm going to kneel down here, and I'm serving God, and I'm serving you. Which, which doesn't make any sense because in our day and age, all of us are always trying to level up. Like, how can I get to the next level? We're trying to look at our life as, as where do I fall in the pecking order and how do I get to the next, next position? Like, if, if I'm the CFO, how do I become the CEO? If I'm the, the, the salesman, how do I become the sales manager? If I'm the sales manager, how do I become the GM? If, 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 I, if I'm the laborer, how do I become the, the, the skilled, skilled labor? Like we're always looking like, how do I take it to the next level? And, and there's an ambition that's good about that. But when we real, lose sight of what we should really be after of, how do I make this the best organization? How do I serve others to elevate them and not just elevate myself? We change everything. Yeah. And it's a mindset shift, and it's hard for us to comprehend because that doesn't make sense. You would think that if I go and give more of myself, then I would feel less than. But here's the thing about taking on the very nature of a servant. And I'll talk to people here at church every single weekend because I'll walk around to people that are in the production team, back in kids' ministry, people that are in first impressions, out on, in the parking lot. And I'll go, I'll walk around and I'll go, man, thank you so much for serving this weekend. You're making such a huge difference. And you know what? 99% of the time that people say, they go, no, 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 Pastor TJ, thank you. Thank you for letting me do this. I'm like, you don't understand. I'm trying to thank you. You're not supposed to thank me. But what they've realized is that the, the, the joy actually doesn't come, come from, from getting something. The joy actually comes from giving something. When I begin to lay down my life as a servant, when I begin to pour myself out is when God begins to fill me up. And a lot of us are going, God, fill me up, but you're already full because you've never poured yourself out. 
And it's time for some of us to, to realize that we're not called to just be a pitcher that just looks nice on the counter. We're actually called to be a pitcher that gets poured out. And as we pour ourselves out, God can then fill us back up. Some of us have got some stale stuff in our pitcher because we've never poured it out. It's time for us to take on this servant nature. If we go back to the very beginning when Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 11, he said, I've told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. He says, this is my commandment, that you love each other in the same way that I've loved you. How did Jesus love us? By serving by being the ultimate servant. They said there's no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. Jesus just lays it out. He gives us the example. How are you pouring your life out? What is, what is the posture that you're taking? Are you taking the posture of serve me, take care of me, love me, adore me, magnify me, glorify me? Or are you going, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to lift you up. Because here's what ultimately we have to do. Number three is we have got to live for the good of others. We've got to live for the good of others. Verse eight, he says this, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself and became obedient. He goes, you know, I'm not just going to live for my good. I'm going to live for the good of other people. I, I've learned this so much from, from watching John Maxwell in life. I remember the first time Shayla and I met John. We went to the Christmas pageant at First Baptist Fort Lauderdale, I don't know, eight or nine years ago when they actually still had it. And we, we, we were the guests of Larry Thompson, who was the pastor at that time. And he sat us down and he said, hey, we've got some special guests that are gonna be sitting with you guys tonight. And in and, and walked John and Margaret Maxwell and their kids, and Shayla was sitting next to me, and my jaw just dropped, like, because like, somebody, I've read all of their books. I, I was like, that's John Maxwell, that's John Maxwell. I was like, oh my gosh. She's like, you should just talk to him. I was like, he won't talk to me. <laughs> and John gets up, and he walks around, and he starts introducing himself, and I introduce myself to him, and, and I say, oh, man, you, you know my pastor, Randy Bizet, really well. And he's like, oh, I love Randy Bizet. What are you doing down here? And I was like, oh, I just planted a church. And, and for the next half hour, he talked to me like I was the most important person on the planet. I was pastoring a church of maybe 200 people at the time. I was a nobody. I was insignificant in the world compared to the stages and the places that he is at. And he ends up inviting me to an event in Atlanta. He's like, oh, you need to come to this thing. I, it's, I'll take care of everything. You just come. I'm like, who are you, Jesus? You know, like, it's. 
And I realized in that moment that we all need to be somebody who makes everybody feel like a somebody. And as I got the time to spend with John, he goes, he lives by a statement that I try to add value to every person that I encounter. Add value. So a few years ago, I was running some errands. And uh, I had to stop at Winn-Dixie on the corner of 441 and Sample Road and I had to pick something up. I don't, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember it was right when they started the self-checkout lines and they had, they had no cashiers like out there. It's just self-checkout lines and, and nobody really knew what they were doing. And I got in this line and I was behind this, this, this older woman and, uh, and she, she walked up there and, and it was obvious she didn't have any idea what she was doing. She couldn't figure it out. She was just hitting buttons on there. She wasn't scanning anything. And I, was, I just said, ma'am, can I help you out? She goes, son, do you work here? And I thought for a minute, and I go, I do now. And I started taking her items, and I started scanning them, and I was bagging them for her. And, and I was like, ma'am, how would you like to pay, cash or credit? <laughs> She's like, oh, I've got my card, and I stick it in the thing. I was like, ma'am, I need you to put in your pin right now. I'll step away so you can. She was very secretive about it. I was like, would you like me to take these out to the, to the car for you? She's like, that would be great. I remember picking them up. I walk out to her car. She opens up the trunk. I put them in. And, and, and as I put them in and shut her trunk, she, she turns to me with a dollar. And I'm like, man, we don't accept tips at Winn-Dixie. <laughs> and she smiles at me and she goes, thank you so much. And I remember her getting in her car and driving away and me going and getting in my car, totally forgetting what I was supposed to buy and driving away. <laughs> I got home and I was like, Shayla, you're never going to believe what just happened. I, I think I work at Winn-Dixie now. I just, I just. <laughs> but I was so high on that. Yeah. What I realized is I wasn't high on that. I was full of joy. Because I wasn't living for the good of TJ. I was living for the good of others. And I think you and I, we, we've got to get a mentality that I'm not just going to live for the good of me. Like, yes, we want you to live good. But it shouldn't just be for you. It should be for others. There's a great verse in Romans chapter 9 out of the Message Bible. And I love, it's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah, or uh, Hosea. And it says this, I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. In a place where they yelled out, you're nobody. They're calling your God's living children. Isaiah maintained the same emphasis. He says, God doesn't count us. He calls us by name. God wants to call people by name. And the way he calls them by name is through our lives. It's through how we're going to live. And are we going to be willing to give up our rights 
Are we going to be willing to serve some other people and live for their good? And here's what I promise. When you start living for the good of others, your life, your internal life will be so good and so full of joy that this world can't steal it from you because you're constantly pouring out and God's constantly filling you up. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, I'm so thankful that you're a God that is wanting to fill every single one of us with your joy. That God, our joy can be complete. But it begins with the attitudes that we take. God, and I just ask you to search us right now. Just like David prayed, search me, oh God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Is there any pride? Is there any selfishness? Is there, is there any disunity that's going on? And, and if there is, God, we just repent of that right now. We ask you to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, so that we can be emptied of things that are coming into our cup that aren't of you when they should be of you. But God, I also pray, maybe there's some people out there right now that you've never experienced the fullness of joy that we're talking about because you've never experienced a relationship with God. I'm not talking about rules or religion. I'm talking about a God that loved you so much that he gave the greatest gift of his son, Jesus, so that you could have life and you could have it everlasting. And maybe you need to experience that for the first time or the first time in a long time. It begins with a simple yet significant prayer of surrender. If that's you, whether you're in Lighthouse Point watching online, if on the count of three, you just slip your hand up. I'd love to pray with you. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip those hands up. Yes, sir, I see you. Thank you. Who else? Right over here. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. I see you. Thank you. It's three. If you'll pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud, say, God, thank you for loving me so much in the middle of my mess that you gave your greatest gift, your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate price on Calvary for my sin and my shame and my mistakes. I ask you to forgive me of my past change my present and secure my future. Come into my heart and take over. Thank you for your resurrection, defeating death, hell, and the grave so that I can have life and live it more abundantly. God, I ask you to fill me with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience, and your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen.